0: Welcome to Creative Outcomes. We've got a really exciting episode today. Uh, First, of course, I'm joined by Meredith Pickrell, controller at Upsource Accounting, and also by a very special guest, Jay Powers. Jay is a managing director with BDO in the uh, the area of uh, structuring and negotiating ESOPs. He's a subject matter expert on this topic. And we wanted to have Jay on today to talk about what are ESOPs? We we have a number of clients who have gone through ESOPs, many more who are familiar with the idea and are aware that it is an a, another avenue outside of the traditional merger or sale to another party to get liquidity as an owner. But they are sort of complex and and um and uh, uh, hard to understand for folks who aren't very familiar with them. So that's why we brought on Jay to uh, demystify the world of ESOPs for us. Jay, thanks so much for being on. Glad to be with you. Glad to be with you too. All right, Jay. So why don't we just start off with uh, what is an ESOP? Like why would somebody want to do this?
1: Sure. So ESOP obviously is stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan, not Employee Stock Option Plan. Employee <laughs> Stock Ownership Plan. They yeah. were... Really created in their earliest form in the late 1950s on the West Coast by an attorney named Louis Kelso, and he did it primarily to give owners a different option to liquidity and a pathway to succession and transition. Um, in 1974, ERISA law, which you know covers most benefit plans, uh, set about you know some rules with what you could do and what you couldn't do with ESOP. So formally codified in 1974 through ERISA, there were about 7,000 ESOP owned companies in the U S that's not a big number. When you look at kind of the profile of the sure. middle market business. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Why would people use them Ryan? Well, Um, What we see, and I've been doing this kind of work for about 25 years, is certainly owners ought to look at all paths to liquidity, right? But if they have um, a notion to continue a legacy that they or they and their partners or their family has built in a business, or frankly, they just want to show a lot of loyalty to those folks that have helped them build a business, uh, they ought to look at ESOP as, as maybe a, you know, an alternative to the third party sale. Um, It is a buyer. It is an arm's length buyer. The ESOP pays fair market value for the business. There is no inside ESOP value or something like that. There's no self dealing here. The ESOP as buyer is represented by a trustee a fiduciary that ha- yep. acts on behalf of the benefit plan to purchase the shares from the seller.
0: Got it. So so uh and this is I mean in, in the way you've described it I think kind of hits on why it's sort of interesting for agencies specifically given that you know I'd say a lot of uh certainly the clients that we deal with a lot of agencies you know start a business because they want to do fun cool work with friends, right? They want to build mm-hmm. an important culture uh, they care deeply about the people that work that they work with and that they employ. Uh, like many business owners, they eventually want to enjoy the fruits of you know the ten or however many years of their labor, and so liquidity is certainly something that is interesting to them as anybody else. But the idea of handing over this baby to a WPP or holding company or an Accenture or some consultancy yep. or whatever is, yep. I don't know, sometimes gut wrenching, right? And feels folks feel like, oh, is that you know that that can't be the only way. And so this ESOP has the opportunity. To provide the the best of both worlds, right? Give them a little yeah. bit of liquidity, money in their pocket, and also uh-huh. continue the legacy. Put and and also give their employees who have been who have who have been with them and and uh, give them a little bit of uh, skin in the game and some upside in what they've collectively built.
1: Without a doubt, you know, having employees who've been with you a long time or partners who have been with you a long time who haven't previously perhaps owned equity, now they're going to be real owners in the business. Through their participation in this benefit plan that buys the shares on their behalf.
0: So, how, okay, so let's say, uh, well, let me, I have a couple of questions. So, let's say I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, this sounds amazing. I 100% wanna do this. My first question would be Is there any profile of a business, whether it's an industry, whether it's the size, whatever? that is a good fit for an ESOP yeah. and a profile of business that is a particularly bad fit? Like what you sure, know, who should be sure. really thinking about this?
1: Good fit, it really runs the gamut. Um, it, you know, I've participated in a couple hundred transactions over my career. It really runs the gamut from heavy machinery, metal bending, manufacturing, distribution, all the way over to pure, pure service businesses. Um, the ESOP, because it does use debt in some form yeah. to buy the shares from the founder owners that could be friendly debt like a seller note that could be bank debt but it does use some form of leverage that shouldn't scare anybody um we're really focused on the cash flow of the business both presently and and somewhat predictably into the future to make sure that there is some level of adequate cash flow to repay this debt that has funded the buyout of the owners. So again, cash flow is sort of king here, less so about what you do, how you do it, or what industry you're in. Uh, The bad fits for ESOP really fall into two categories and I think you guys can figure this out pretty quickly. If you've got tremendous turnover in your employee base, you're not a great ESOP candidate because this is a benefit plan that has company shares in it and you have to vest in those company shares. And if you hang around and vest in the plan, it's going to be a terrific payoff for you because you haven't bought the shares. They've been placed in this benefit plan account for you. So if you hang around and you vest and you have a nice long runway, you're going to do well in the ESOP. If every position in the company is a high turnover position, nobody ever vests in the plan. And so the shares really don't ever get into people's
0: hands. Got it. Okay.
1: And then the other The other type of business where it's probably not a good fit, and I alluded to this a moment ago, is that business, not saying that a business needs to be able to guarantee their cash flow year over year, but that business that says our earnings are really volatile year over year, they can't get a good handle on repaying That form of leverage, whether it be friendly seller debt or bank debt or a combination of the two, they're constantly refinancing that because they're missing payments. You would hope that the analysis done on the front end by the business owners and any advisor they've engaged really examine whether these things are present, making it a good
0: fit for any stuff or not. So, let me um almost, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think what'll even make it, w- that will make even more sense for some of the folks listening it, when I clarify this one point, which is let's back up for one second and just um, explain really quickly like how does it work? So let sure. me take a stab because uh, i I know uh, only a little bit more than the listeners about ESOP. So my understanding, of course, is that you're 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 creating, you know I'm a founder, I'm an agency owner, right? and i'm ready i want to start an esop as a way to get liquidity so my understanding is right you form the esop and the the plan and the plan is going to buy my shares right as a founder the plan is now going to buy my shares so i'm selling my let's say my position is worth 5 million dollars i'm just making that up so i'm going to i'm going to sell my shares to the esop and i'm going to get 5 million dollars either upfront or over time. And the way I get that $5 million is the ESOP has to go borrow money, right? The ESOP goes to the bank, borrows money to pay me my $5 million. Uh, and then, of course, the the business generates cash flow over the next five, 10 years, whatever it is, to pay that loan back. And in the meantime, the ESOP uh, doles out the equity, the shares that I sold to it, now to some of my employees. Is that... Mostly, fundamentally correct. I I won't get
1: down the weeds too far, except to say, in the course of an in in the case of an S corporation, we'd do a redemption first. The company would borrow money and redeem out the shareholders. Then the company would sell the shares to the ESOP. In a C-corporation example, you're right. The ESOP is borrowing money. But, Ryan, I would caution to say that that borrowed money is always secured, either in S-Corp or C-Corp, is secured by the assets and the cash flow of the business. The ESOP doesn't have any money. It's a benefit yeah.
0: plan. That's right.
1: Yeah. But fundamentally, yeah, yeah. Your, your description of the steps is, is, is close to being perfect. Got it. Okay. Good. (laughs)
0: That feels good. Um, so, so, and then just very quickly. So like, how does, how do these, how does the shares get into the employee's hands? Right? Like, is it, how does that work? Sure. So
1: as you said, at the the close of a transaction, if I'm a business
0: owner and I've decided ESOP
1: is the correct fair market value path for me, then at the closing table, depending on how I have financed the transaction, I may get some cash at the closing table through a bank loan, And I may then also get payments on a seller note beyond that time. As that debt is repaid each year to me or to the bank or to the combination of us, shares leave the benefit plan. Remember when the transaction closes, the ESOF has all the shares. Yeah. I'm still perhaps working at the company and active in the company and active on the board and that sort of stuff. This is, I don't have to exit. Yeah. Um, as the debt is repaid each year, shares leave the plan and they go into individual benefit accounts. So every full time employee has a benefit plan account, and each year they receive shares for free. They don't buy them like in a 401k, no money comes out of your check. You get shares each year in your account. And you have to vest in that plan. Uh, You can have some partial vesting or you can have cliff vesting, either one. But if I am an employee and I stay through the vesting period and I continue on a long length of time, I continue to get shares in this benefit plan each year. And then when I retire or I leave, I simply sell those shares at the current market value back to the plan where they get reallocated all over again.
0: Interesting. Okay. Is, is it like a normal like 401k plan? Like you have your, your certain entry dates, you have to have certain length requirements. Like is one person getting more shares than another employee?
1: Great question. And again, that depends on... The, the kind of testing you run around the allocation models. Um, it's quite common, but not absolute, that the way the shares are allocated each year, Meredith, is a function of compensation among individuals or tenure, but that doesn't necessarily have the case. It have to be the case. You can create an ESOP where everybody gets the same number of shares every year. So there is some flexibility in how you design the allocation. Your other point is about the the 401k rules. It is similar in this respect. Yeah, you, you have to be an employee. You know, at the start date of the ESOP, if you're already an employee, you're in. If you join a day after the ESOP starts, you've got to wait a full year before you can join the ESOP. And then, yeah, the typical vesting we see is a graduated time period vesting or some cliff vesting at a point
0: in the future. Um, Jay, one of the things that I hear often, um, but I don't know enough uh, to know why, uh, but one of the things I hear often about the ESOP, in addition to just being an avenue for getting liquidity in your business, it's also highly tax advantaged. There's there's plenty of tax advantages. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, keeping in mind that it's not like a, a tax minded audience mm-hmm. uh what what kind of benefits uh might might be available in that regard
1: the tax advantages really fall into two silos ryan um the oldest tax rules around esops favor the seller but they favor the seller in a c corporation scenario so the Got first set of rules so I'm founder of the
0: agency if, yeah. if you're
1: an s corp you'd have to convert to c to take advantage of what i'm about to say But the IRS Section 1042 rules say, and they've said it since the 80s, if you're a C corporation or if you elect C corporation before you do a transaction, and I as the owner of the business, if I sell 30% or more of the stock to an ESOP, I can defer the capital gains to be paid on, that, on the proceeds that I receive in that sale. If I sell 100% as a C-Corp, I can yep. defer 100% of the capital gains tax I'm exposed to through the use of an ESOP. Now, what happens is you defer it. You have to reinvest the proceeds a very particular way under the rules of 1042. But then when you die you get a step up in basis. So that could be when the capital gains tax is is eliminated for you. Those are C-corp rules and they favor very much the seller. The S-corporation rules around ESOPs have been around since 1994 and they are more focused on the company and perhaps a little bit easier to understand. They say the following. If I have an S-corporation and I sell to an ESOP. Okay, me as the seller, I'm going to pay capital gains tax as I realize the value, either in a set of structured payments or in some upfront cash. I'm going to pay the capital gains tax when I receive principal payments. Okay. Yep. But yep. for the company, the benefit is 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 pretty strong. Um, an S corporation, as you guys know, is a pass-through, right? Yep. So in the most extreme example, if I sell a hundred percent of my S corporation. To an ESOP? Well, an ESOP is a qualified benefit plan, right? So it is not a tax-paying entity. So exists the possibility that I could create an S-corporation that does not pay federal or in most cases not pay state income tax uh, either. So I could use my S-corp, sell it to an ESOP, and create an ongoing business that has
0: the opportunity to not pay income tax anymore. That makes a lot of sense with regards to tax advantages. Um, and, uh, and certainly, and I think a number of our, um, number of our agency clients are S-Corps. And so mm-hmm. the prospect, while maybe not as uh, you know, founder friendly um, as the C-Corp rules, the prospect of the S-Corp never paying taxes again is uh, pretty intriguing, very, very interesting. Let me ask one more sort of tactical question. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I think it's it's informative or interesting. Um, so, you know, let me let me phrase this as a question, which is to say, if I am, let's say, I've, I'm an agency owner and I think my shares are worth, um, you know, again, not nine times EBITDA or whatever it is, and that comes out to, you know, five million dollars should I expect to get my $5 million day one or what's the most realistic way that like I end up getting my money out of the business? How does this come together with regard to this? That's a great question.
1: And it speaks to how these deals are fundamentally structured, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you really got three options in how you finance these things. And they are all related to the value you're able to achieve. So my role in these transactions is to advise sellers, is to advise business owners on how to do a good deal. You know, how to be careful about how you do the deal, but to do a good deal. And so, part of our charge in advising business owners is to say, look, you have some options. You can go find a bank that will, you know, do some due diligence on your cash flow and perhaps provide a term loan for part of the sale price. You can look at sub-debt or mezzanine sources of financing, also third parties who will add a little more money to that capital stack at the closing table toward our our nine multiple Ryan, Or you can simply finance the whole thing yourself. You play the role of the bank and you get structured principal and interest payments at the sale price. So let's use your example. Let's say we have a $5 million dollar 100% 100% sale of an S corporation, okay? And let's say that the owner says, you know what, I'd like a little bit of that purchase, that sale price at the closing table. Well, we'd go out and talk to a number of banks and say, do your due diligence, see what you'd be comfortable lending into a transaction like this. And as a general rule, uh, these days, a bank, a traditional senior bank, is probably going to lend somewhere between 20 and 30% of that multiple of that $5 million price yep. in a senior term loan. Again, it all depends on the quality of the cash flow and the assets of the business. I will say that as a qualifier. Yep. So how do I how do I secure the rest of my sale multiple, right? Well, I can do it with the inclusion of, uh, of some mezzanine financing, second tier financing from an outside party or yep. I can simply take a seller note for the balance of that purchase price. Let's make the arithmetic simple. Let's say a bank is willing to lend a million dollars yep. of the $5 million sale price to the ESOP that I am getting. Yep. Uh, well, we can look at a, a, another turn maybe from a mezzanine finance. So maybe there's $2 million at the closing yep. table. But mezzanine financing is, is quite expensive, guys. And, and the role they play is to say we, we, we sit in the capital structure underneath the bank. So our return requirements are going to be a little bit higher, right?
0: Right, So
1: many business owners look at that and they say, well, why don't I just play the role of the subordinated financing partner underneath the bank and take that higher rate of return as a subordinated debt holder. So you get your full price, um, but you get in the combination of bank money And seller-financed notes. Now, remember what we said a little while ago. In the case of the S-Corporation, we're creating a business, not intentionally, just by simply using the ESOP rules available to us. We are able to create a business that might avoid paying income taxes, all right? So it's got more cash flow every year. So it very likely is a a strong and attractive candidate to a bank because the bank knows that it's going to be repaid with pre-tax dollars unlike a lot of businesses it deals with. So banks like ESOPs a lot, so much so that they're not only willing to lend money to ESOPs, but they're also very interested when their initial term loan is repaid. Yeah. They're interested sometimes in
0: refinancing that seller note. The rest of the seller note. Yeah, exactly. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, if I'm, a, if I'm an agency owner and I'm weighing, uh, you know, my varying liquidity avenues, a seller note where I get my the remainder of my money over a period of time is not unlike – the kind of earn out i would be subject to if i were selling to an agency holding company with the exception of this is a guaranteed note right the the price is fixed in versus an earn out that's often tied to some contingency uh requirement right the other thing we
1: like to point out to owners ryan is this if you own an s corporation uh, and i'll keep the example simple you're currently getting distributions each year you're paying income tax on those distributions Okay. If I sell in our example to an ESOP for $5 million and I decide I will finance the whole thing to keep our example simple in a seller. note, Now I'm getting principal payments on a note that are taxed at capital
0: gains. Nice. Okay. Those used to be
1: the distributions I got each year
0: taxed at ordinary income. Very interesting. Okay. Got it. Okay. Meredith, are you going to ask a question or? No, I was, I oh, was following okay. on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I had a question <laughs> and then I answered I wanted to provide some space for it. Okay, well, let me ask one more, let me ask one more thing. And, 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 um, so I'm actually going to read you a quote. So, and it's a little bit long, so everybody hang with me, but there's, you know, obviously, uh, uh, and, and no judgment, no shade, uh, lots of, there's plenty of room in the industry for varying opinions, but one, and I'm not even going to mention them by name, but one sort of famous thought leader in our space, many folks listening to this would, would be familiar with, has been pretty critical of the idea of ESOPs in the past. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he wrote a post sort of at length about why he felt so strongly against ESOPs and, you know, I'll summarize his sort of like conclusion, which is quote saying, you know, long-term though, it's just sort of a disaster. I've never seen an ESOP owned firm thrive. Ownership doesn't really encourage employees to think line owners. If you doubt that consult the results from the companies who've tried it second, it's difficult, difficult to disentangle your firm from an ESOP. It limits your options. Uh, because uh, seldom will any other entity want to buy a company that's already in an ESOP. Decision making becomes really difficult, and uh, lastly, you're really not even doing your employees a favor in the first place because you're concentrating all of their assets into the same into the same basket. So, you know, obviously, he's very critical of the idea that that ESOPs would be appropriate for. Uh, marketing services firms, and and I suspect you'd take issue with at least one or a couple of those things. But I, I'd be interested in like, how would you respond to that? What 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 do you? What sure. Do you well,
1: my first response was I would love to introduce that individual to all of my clients. <laughs> right. I really would. I really yeah. would.
0: Yeah. The second one
1: I'd address is the notion of uh, owners, uh, employees acting like owners. Um, that's a function of communication if it's communicated correctly to employees on the front end as to what kind of an opportunity this is for them and how the day-to-day decisions they make affect growth and profitability and thereby affect value and they're getting shares each year that will have a value on them, then I think they are so motivated. There are two large uh, uh, associations Uh, that represent ESOP companies and ESOP employees and do a lot of legislative uh, and lobbying efforts around ESOPs in this country. One is the ESOP Association, and the other is the National Center for Employee Ownership, the NCEO. Uh, Each of these organizations, just to name two, have done significant studies over a long number of years about ESOP-owned companies and research around efficiency, profitability, and I, I, those studies simply refute uh, what, what you mentioned a few moments yeah. ago. In most cases, the ESOP, in almost all cases, the ESOP-owned company is very, very efficiently run, managed, and and, and growing. Um, a couple of other points that, that you brought up, uh, entanglement from an ESOP. Um, Any third-party buyer, to be blunt, is going to look at a balance sheet and see what the balance sheet looks like. The ESOP is one shareholder. Mm -hmm. It's a benefit plan with one shareholder. Mm -hmm. If an acquirer comes along, I've seen many of my clients sold to third-party buyers. They're going to look at the balance sheet, first of all, how much debt is or isn't still on the balance sheet. That's the biggest issue they're going to have. They're going to have that issue with any target.
0: That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right.
1: Beyond that, it's just we've got this one shareholder represented by this independent fiduciary, a trustee. So let's negotiate with the board and let's negotiate with the trustee. I, in my 25 years of doing this stuff, have not seen an ESOP or simply the construct of an ESOP as an impediment to the third-party sale at some point in the future. You, you. I'm sorry, you have to remind me of a couple of the other uh, points.
0: Well, no, I mean, and I, I think, I think the final was the idea that uh, you know you're not doing your employees a favor because you're you're uh, sort of uh, concentrating all of their retirement in uh, in uh, one one basket. So, sure. I'm not sure that's actually fair because. Yeah. Obviously, you Yeah. Yeah.
1: If if a, if a company already has a 401k in place or some other profit sharing uh, uh, plan in place, the ESOP is not intended to replace that. Yeah. This is another benefit to the employees, and it's different in the fact that they receive these shares in a benefit plan account each year, and they don't come out of pocket for them. Right. So right. they're not really at risk yeah. here yeah. with the use yeah. of an ESOP. The second thing is, um, are you doing them a favor? I don't know. They've got a vest in the plan, you yeah. know, just like they would any benefit plan. But if the value of the company, if it goes up over time, when they depart from the company, if they have vested, they've got a, a pretty significant benefit here. Um yeah. There are also diversification rules around ESOP. You can reach a certain age or a certain time period that you've been in the plan, and you can diversify your holdings Mm. out of simply the company's shares and into cash and other things. So there are rules and, and flexibility written around some permission of diversification within the ESOP plan after you reach a certain period of time in the ESOP.
0: Yeah. So it sounds to me like uh, this individual uh, maybe had a, a bad experience or a couple of bad personal experiences, but it sounds like it's really, I mean, the, it's a function of the execution, whether internally or, or externally of those ESOPs and not the, uh, not the structure or the fundamental concept of an ESOP itself. There's nothing about the ESOP.
1: Ryan, the, 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 to your point, the, 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 the bad ESOPs I've seen in my career have been poorly structured from the get go. Either the allocation rules were used poorly or the company was over. And this is important guys, even though this is an arm's length fair market value transaction, that ESOP is paying fair market value for the business. Yeah. There are certain providers of services out there that are going to tell an owner, I'm going to get you a value far beyond that. Well, let's think about that for a minute. You guys together, we want to do a deal, a negotiated, fully due diligence deal at fair market value. If there's someone out there promising a value beyond reasonable fair market value after a a very fully negotiated process, that's going to be reflected in the debt. Yeah. that is used yeah. Yeah. to finance that purchase price. So while it may seem that a 20 multiple of EBITDA is a, yeah. it's a terrific thing, you'd better have the growth. <laughs> to go pay book. that note <laughs> off. And, and they, yeah. that may be the case. Yeah, you sure. negotiate a deal at a very, very high double digit because the anticipation is true. your cash flow three or four years from now is going to be seven times what it is now. Sure.
0: But and that's real. You're gonna be upside down. Yeah, that makes sense. Got it. Well, and look, Jay. I don't. Oh, go ahead. Yes. I just had one question. Thing of like yeah. our client side. Is there a right time? Like, is it a length of years that the the business is you know the business business owner has been growing the business like ten year mark? Is it a revenue? Is or, it just yeah. like? Is it just Does, like the steady cash flows? Is that is that what triggers like? When do I go and start considering? Because it also, and just to layer onto that, it also probably isn't free to just, like, get the lawyers and the folks involved. So, like, at some size of up, it probably, like, the transaction yeah. costs don't really support the concept. So, yeah,
1: yeah, you know, it, it, it's more um, focused on the number of employees you have. Okay. But there's no hard and fast rule about this, you guys. But if you have a smaller number of employees then those ESOP shares are going to be concentrated among a few people. And that's not the goal of using one of these plans. So, you know, there's probably some number, again, uh, not written in stone out there, 20 employees, 25 employees, maybe more, where it's a better fit. As far as the history of the business, you know, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, we're using some form of debt to buy, the, or or we, we can use some form of debt to buy the business owner out. So we want some history. That doesn't necessarily mean 10 years. That doesn't necessarily mean five years. We want some history of predictability, not guarantee, but predictability of some cash flow, and then some forecasted predictability of that cash flow to do an ESOP deal. So there's no perfect industry. There's no perfect balance sheet. Um, It really focuses on whether the culture is a good fit for it, whether the selling shareholders are interested in continuing a legacy and being loyal to people that have been with them for a long time. But then the financial side of it would focus more on some level of predictability of cash flow and some critical mass
0: number of employees to share in the benefit that makes sense cool. that makes sense yeah so jay um i'd say look in summary it it really feels like and, and it's not again it's not a uh, it's not a one size fit all but if, if if you're a business that's uh you know you've a it, you're a founder that has is desiring some liquidity right you're looking to get some cash out of the business uh and you've got some predictability of cash flow and there's you've got the right culture that you want to reward and enroll uh your team this is a very viable uh very viable option and especially for marketing services folks who are who i just know i talk to them all the time get kind of queasy about the idea of selling to uh you know the man <laughs> this is uh you, you this is a way to do it uh, the, in a different way so it's, and, it's- and you're right, like any transaction
1: i i I emphasize do your homework on the front end it's not a perfect fit for everybody but you know a lot of the work we do initially with business owners is really just sort of modeling what it might
0: look like for them before they stick both feet in the water. All the way in. Yeah, that's smart. Well, Jay, thank you so incredibly much for joining us. Honestly, you are a wealth of knowledge. We could be doing this all day, uh, but we won't do that to you. Um, So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, you guys. Enjoyed my time with you. Have a great day.
1: Awesome. Thank you.